that is that is the main issue with uh, with reinforcement learning. And and honestly, is really the issue with life. I mean, it, it would be much easier if you had somebody telling you, "Hey, you're doing the right thing. Just keep going at it." Right. So, but 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 it's not it's not the case. You're always wondering, should I do something differently? Should I should I try something else? Should I go beyond? Should I try this or should I try that? And 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 even even so, sometimes it, it may seem that you did something wrong. Uh, maybe you know, uh, maybe it turns out that it's actually positive lo long term, right? So that difficulty exists in real life, and I don't think hiding the difficulty as we do in supervised learning really helps solve the big problem of AI. You are listening to the OMSCS Buzz. I'm your host, Tanmay Shah. On this show, I have long-form conversations with OMSCS students, alumni, and faculty. Together, we'll learn about cutting-edge work in computing and get inspired from our fellow Yellow Jackets. So sit back, grab a beverage, and enjoy. On this episode of OMSCS Buzz, I'm joined by Miguel Morales. Miguel is an associate fellow at Lockheed Martin's Advanced Development Programs, also known as Skunkworks. He's the author of Grokking Deep Reinforcement Learning and instructor for OMSES's Reinforcement Learning course. I'm very excited for you to hear about Miguel's incredible story in this conversation. Miguel, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Good, good. Very excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So Miguel, as I mentioned, right now you're pursuing a PhD in computer science, specializing in deep multi-agent reinforcement learning. So for the audience to get their feet wet, uh, kind of as an introduction to our conversation, uh, what exactly does that mean? And what is your research focused on currently? Yeah, so, okay, so reinforcement learning without the multi-agent in the deep, reinforcement learning is about uh, creating computer programs that can learn from trial and error. In other words, you create a, a computer program, you design the task for the computer program, and um, the computer program then starts trying different things. And through experience, gets signals of, yes, you're doing the thing right. Let's say that we are playing chess. You win the match, you lose the match, and so on. Um, and then so through that experience, uh, the agent gets better and better, better and better at uh, completing that task, right? So in the case of uh, deep reinforcement learning, um, we just add highly nonlinear function approximators. So deep neural networks, basically. All the, the cool neural networks uh, that, that you see in the news uh, you know, recently. And then the multi-agent part then is that uh, it, it's more focused on multiple agents and, and tasks that involve multiple, multiple agents, whether that is, um, tasks that require collaboration, or that is a task that where you have some competition or a mix of the two, right? So uh, so in particular, I've been working with uh, Professor Michael Littman uh, to try to modify a DQN-like uh, um, agent algorithm uh, to be multi-agent. That's uh, one, one of the uh, things that I've been working on. And then also um, I worked uh, last semester with a group of students actually, um, in uh, uh, measuring multi-agent interactions 
And this to me is uh, is very interesting because we we don't have a a, a clear way for uh, measuring the interactions. Whether are you competing? Are you are you collaborating? Uh, and what are some of the other metrics that are in between? And it's it's a very difficult topic that you know I think deserves um, more attention. Uh, and other than that, you know, I, I mean, anything really related to uh, uh, reinforcement learning where there are multiple agents interacting, it's, it's something that I'm interested um, in. I hope you're enjoying the episode. I'm checking in here with some quick news updates. We're very excited to announce that OMSCS will be hosting its Fall 2023 Virtual Career Fair on Thursday, November 2nd, 2023 from 3 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is the first virtual career fair open exclusively to OMSES students and alumni. There will be a number of companies at the fair, including Amazon, Schlumberger, the NSA, Stryker, Sandia National Labs, Viasat, Travelers Insurance, JP Morgan Chase, Synopsys, and possibly more. Sign up for interview slots is currently open, so keep an eye out for an email from the OMSES team with details of the event and tips on how to prepare for the fair. We hope you'll be there on November 2nd. And in other news, David Joyner, the executive director of online education and OMSCS, has been selected as the first holder of the Svi Galil Peace Chair, named in honor of former College of Computing Dean Svi Galil. Peace stands for Pervasive Equitable Access for Computing Education, and the Peace Chair will work to make sure computing education is, is accessible, equitable, and diverse. This is a big deal for OMSES and the College of Computing. So congratulations to both David Joyner and Zvigalil. And now back to the episode. Enjoy. Okay, so you mentioned how what you're working on is reinforcement learning in its classic form infused with deep learning. And I think personally, I, I would like to kind of level that playing field, so to speak. So, you know, what exactly is the difference between deep learning and reinforcement learning? Because I think for some folks who are reading papers or reading what's happening in the industry, these terms sometimes might get uh, interchanged. And yeah, that's a good question because it, it does happen a lot. And so deep learning, I see it more, more as a toolbox, right? So, so deep learning it's a, is the 50-pound hammer, if you will, right? You can solve lots of different problems with this. The, the problem setting that deep learning can solve varies. And typically, machine learning gives you at least three branches. Uh, and some people would argue that more than that, but at least three branches of problems that are common in ML and therefore AI. Uh, and then one would be so supervised learning. Another one be, is uh, unsupervised learning. And then the last one would be reinforcement learning. So very, very briefly, supervised learning um, you know, allows you to uh, basically, let me put it as an example. So you, you have pictures of cats, you train a model to identify cats in pictures uh, or dogs and so on. And, and then, you know, you, you basically train that model and then uh, with feedback that already exists. It's, it's called supervised for a reason. So you have the feedback, you have label, label data, and then you use that data to train that model. Unsupervised learning typically is a different take. Uh, you don't have labels, but you have data, and you want to find out what's in there, right? Kind of explore to also compress. Uh, 
So there's no supervision, but um, there is something in the data that can be learned. And then, so typically uh, under unsupervised learning, you have algorithms that do kind of that kind of stuff, such as you know PCA and and, and so on. Uh, and then finally, in reinforcement learning, what I like to say it is, is is you don't have data, you don't you don't have labels, but you also don't have data. The agent the agent typically needs to, um, you know, basically find that data, um, and then the labels are not really supervised. Uh, when when you have a, a a for instance a game the game of go right so you you win the match then you know that signal gives you the signal for for you to say well i mean that's what i that's how i want my agent to um to get better right so the, this is the signal that helps you train the agent but this is this signal is not telling you how to play the game it's telling you what is that final state of the game where that you want to reach and then so in reinforcement learning we try to find that that uh final stage so Deep learning is really a collection of algorithms that helps all of machine learning. It's a toolbox that helps all of machine learning. And it helps reinforcement learning in really great ways uh, as well. I mean, it really helps uh, all of machine learning in a, in a really great way. That's, that's why it's been, you know, that's why we have uh, NLP so, such as J chat GPT. We have also a mid journey. I mean, there are so many different, um, you know, products out there right now that are using uh, deep learning um, you know, uh, solutions, right? And then, so in, in reinforcement learning, is is no different. It we have really great um, uh, algorithms that, when using deep learning, that deep learning toolbox can solve much more difficult uh, difficult problems than than we could otherwise. Gotcha. So along these lines of deep learning versus RL, uh, I, I want to get your take on this. So Andrew Ng, who is a leader in the field of uh, deep learning, ML at large, uh, professor at Stanford, uh, in his uh, deeplearning.ai newsletter, uh, this is from a while back, this is from August 2022, uh, but he had something to say about reinforcement learning. And I'm just going to pull the quote here from that. Um, he says that today's RL algorithms still feel finicky, whereas poorly tuned hyperparameters in supervised deep learning could mean that your algorithm trains three times or 10 times more slowly. In reinforcement learning, it feels like they might result in training 100 times more slowly, if at all. And he says that one thing that worries me is that in supervised learning, we have these benchmark data sets that are available to a global community of researchers, and they can use that to tune their algorithms against the same data set and really build on top of each other's work. Whereas in RL, uh, and this I found to be true in the course that I took uh, through OMSCS as well, I found that the more commonly used benchmarks are simulated environments like the OpenAI gym for example. So Andrew says that getting an RL algorithm to work on a simulation, for example, a simulated robot, is much easier than getting it to work on a physical robot. And since we have this constraint between simulation and physical reality, he sees that this is a uh, something that's impeding the rate of progress for RL as opposed to other techniques such as supervised deep learning. So I just want to get your thoughts on this. You know, as somebody who works in this field, what's your take on this perspective? Yeah, that's uh, well. There, there are lots of points there that I like. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah. So reinforcement learning is definitely much, much harder to get right. Um, 
you know, very often, though, this is actually the engineer's issue. Um, not implementing an algorithm correctly um, really, really has consequences in reinforcement learning. It's not forgiven. And, um, and you know, there's really, even though there are libraries such as RLib, uh, stable baselines, and so on, there's really not a single, you know, there's no PyTorch, right? So there's not uh, TensorFlow, a single or two competing, you know, frameworks. Well, we can say JAX and then say three, but you understand, like, there are really not that many frameworks that could be the gold standard. And even when they are gold standard, after they are released many years after, there's some small bugs, bugs that are found. And then, you know, uh, then it explains why these algorithms had not been, you know, working as expected. Now, obviously, this comes from from Andrew, right? And, um, you know, he's he's a pretty smart guy. I know I know that um, he's writing in, in lots of, you know, in lots of uh, this this quote, right? I, I will say that the main issue with reinforcement learning, though, is that the feedback is not supervised, and that is a key distinction. And then, so, and it's almost like it's almost like you, right? It's almost like a human when when you go out there and you you get a job and you get paid, you know, sixty thousand dollars a year. Um. One of the issues that you have is that you don't you don't know if that's the best you can do, and then so you open up the world, your head, your your planning, your thinking to anything really. You know, let me try to get to 150. So you let's say you double 150. Now what? And it's harder and harder like that. So it's very unstable. The learning uh, environment, the the I'm gonna say the shape of of the function that needs to be learned, kind of moves as it as it's being learned. When in supervised learning, it that is fixed. I mean, a cat is a cat. Period. I mean, you, you may have a mistake in in some of your data. You you may have a mislabeled uh, sample, but that is very different than now. The things are changing because the whole environment. Uh, I'm exploring the environment and I'm finding a new door, and now there's a whole new world. You know, is over there. Um, so that is that is the main issue with uh, with reinforcement learning and and. Honestly, this is really the issue with life. I mean, it, it would be much easier if you had somebody telling you, "Hey, you're doing the right thing. Just keep going at it." Right. So, but 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 it's not it's not the case. You're always wondering, should I do something differently? Should I should I try something else? Should I go beyond? Should I try this or should I try that? And 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 even even so, sometimes it, it may seem that you did something wrong. Uh, maybe you know. Uh, maybe it turns out that it's actually positive lo long term. Right. So. That difficulty exists in real life, and I don't think hiding the difficulty, as we do in supervised learning, really helps solve the big problem of AI. I mean, it helps solve problems and tasks, and you know, and create jobs and solve actually, you know, industry problems. Don't get me wrong, um, but definitely, you know, um, I think the real problem is formulated by reinforcement learning much more accurately than than in supervised learning. So you also mentioned. Let's say so. You mentioned this, then you said also that, um, um, oh, okay. So the sim to real transfer, right? There were a couple of points you made, right? So the the sim to real transfer is a big one. I don't disagree, um, and 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 it's a big issue. Um, typically, though, what you really need is more data, and then so there are ways that you can actually get more data. And and Nvidia, for instance, uh, recently came up with a way to. Uh, for you to move the simulation to a GPU. 
So as opposed to having now your bottleneck being the CPU count, which you know, if you if you put a lot of a couple thousand dollars on a on a nice computer, you may get to sixty four, but you know, maybe if, if if it's your company buying the computer, you get to 128, but you don't go, uh, you know, much more after that, right? So it's it's really difficult to get the CPU count up, right? But, um, you know, when you go to a GPU, you can have a 10,000 10, X improvement from, from that, uh, from the, like, throughput that you would have with a CPU simulation. So... So, okay, so this is a tool, okay? So let's say that now we can move a simulation to the GPU and how, how what is the proper pipeline to get then these agents trained? Uh, well, there's a technique, uh, basically an umbrella called domain randomization. There, there are many different approaches to this. Curriculum learning is probably the big, big umbrella under reinforcement learning. But let's say domain ra domain randomization is really about varying the parameters of the simulation. So, like you, 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 you learn to drive a car. It doesn't mean that you only can drive your car. You can go get a rental and then drive, and you're fine, right? In RL, typically we don't we don't have that ability, right? So, if you train in simulation, the problem with the sim to real transfer is that the, the simulation is not going to be accurate to the real world. Uh, there's, I mean, technically, there's really not, it's, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, impossible. Even, even if you try to do this, you know, there's this, you know, super high fidelity simulations, uh, typically called the digital twin. Uh, there are other really, really high simulations. So you can go as high as you want, but you are never going to match reality, right? Um, and then so the, the, the funny thing is that research is pointing to the opposite. It's like, just randomize. So as opposed to going exactly like the real, you go and, and increase the distribution of different you know, simulations, dif different possibilities. And now you can drive the car, you can drive basically any car with any dynamics and with any speed and so on. Um, and, and now you're actually really good at transferring. And, and this so if you had this GPU that can help you with kind of I'm gonna call it priming of these agents of these models, uh, you can you can use kind of very low fidelity simulations to prime the agents and get them to certain you know really good level, and then you use higher fidelity simulations to fine tune it, but still without overriding you know the the ability to generalize right because that's that's really what we're going after to be able to generalize across multiple worlds multiple simulations and then you know you you fine tune there and then you have a, an agent that is much more capable at you know completing tasks that you know from simulation to the real world so those are the two that i remember i i should have written down because there was a third one i i don't know which one it is but you, you let me know if uh there is more in there yeah, I think I think that that makes a lot of sense. And and to go back to your point about uh, data centric, right? And I think that's what a lot of the leading researchers in the field are saying these days as well. Whether it's in RL or or other techniques, is that um, being data centric and essentially what it sounds like you're saying is is having multiple simulations because of the affordability of having this additional data and compute power, where you can play out what the rewards would look like in different scenarios. So Miguel, you wrote a book uh, called Grokking Deep Reinforcement Learning. 
And I'm, I'm always very impressed and, and very excited to talk with any sort of authors because for me, sitting down and, and going through the process of writing a book just seems very daunting. So <laughs> I want to hear from you. What was the catalyst, first of all, for writing this book? And in general, or I guess overall, what was your experience like of being an author that goes through and, and writes uh, this, this piece of work that's going to be published for people to read and learn from? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel you, you describe it properly. This, it's really difficult, right? Uh, it, it was great, a great experience. It took a long time. Um, and to me, the, the most interesting thing is that it's really deeply rooted on OMSCS for multiple reasons. I mean, it, it, it actually came... So first of all, I learned reinforcement learning by taking CS7642, right? So back in the day, it was actually special special topics, I guess. 8803 or something like that. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. you know, then right after that, I got the opportunity to TA the course. Okay. Now, re recall, like before OMSES, I had no reinforcement learning knowledge, no machine learning knowledge, no AI. I once bought a machine learning book uh, to read it. I never did, but I always wanted to. And, and it was there. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, at first, the reinforcement learning course. Then, TA, I started as a TA that, that following semester. I started TAing the reinforcement learning course. Then I took another course uh, in the OMSCS program called uh, Educational Technology. I think it's uh, six, CS6460 at Tech. And the, the open-endedness of this course really allowed me to play with how to teach RL. Right, So I, I spent some time, well, the entire semester really, writing blog posts. Jupyter Notebooks, um, you know, talking to my advisor back then, the course advisor or the TA uh, on, you know, like different approaches um, on, on, on how, to, how to teach this topic and, you know, what are... Uh, now, I took this course while being at TA, so I was actually getting feedback from the students at the same time and getting better, you know, and improving this, this project, right? So, I, and, and to me, that's really kind of, you know, the core of it, right? So, okay, so one day, very, very interesting. One day I received an email from the publisher, Manning. Uh, actually, I received emails from two publishers. Uh, first, Packet Publishing, uh, but they wanted, to, they wanted me to record a video, a video course, and then Manning. Um, and, and then, so I took Manning because it was a book. Um, and then um, later, it was very revealing to me that the, I asked the acquisition editor, how do, you, how do you get to me? Like, you know, why me? And he said that apparently a couple of students recommended me uh, to write the book. And that's how it got started. Like, I didn't even reach out to them. They reached out to me and say, hey, there's students coming to us saying that you should be writing a book. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, what? So that that was fascinating, and 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 so yeah, I mean it's it's going well. It, it has really high ratings uh, on Amazon, and and you know it's it's sold many copies, uh, thousands. And for for a book this you know uh, specific, right? Uh, reinforcement learning that's actually really good, according to the publisher. That's actually really really good. Um, and I even have a uh, an offer to write the second edition, which you know I, I'm not sure I'm going to get to because it's, <laughs> it's way too much um, uh, work. But uh, yeah, to me, you know, OMSES really is co-author, <laughs> absolutely co-author uh, on this book. That is, you're right, such an interesting story. So, okay, so 
the students approached this this publication company, this publisher, and they said, we have this at the time. So you were a, a TA at the time, right? Yes. Okay. So the students approached this publisher on their own volition and yeah. they said, hey, we have this TA in this course we're taking and yeah. we would like if he writes a book. Yes. So I have two questions then. One is, why, why do you think they didn't approach you directly? And then two is, what made you say yes to this offer? Yeah, so I don't know why they didn't reach out. I mean, I, I so during office hours, sometimes, and I would do a lot of hands-on office hours, try to, you know, I'm very passionate about this topic. And then so I would share, you know, all of this. And I, I probably said once or twice, I should write a book about this, or something like that. Now I had all these, you know, all these, Jupyter notebooks and all these blog posts or whatever, um, you know, from the EdTech course. Uh, and, and probably that's why, where it came in my head. Like, you know, I should be writing this stuff, like a book, but please, I mean, there's a, a book by like the Bible uh, by Rich, uh, Rich Sutton, uh, which is, you know, open and free. So, um, you know, it, it's not that I thought that writing the book was a, um, you know, a, a, I'm going to say a great idea in, in the sense of, um, you know, there's a need for this, right? Now, the, Rich Sutton's book teaches reinforcement learning from a more, I'm going to say, a little more academic approach, you know, without many code examples, without diving deep into, you know, how to make these things work. Uh, and then so the take that I that I got was, was that. So I, my take was, let me, so you have that Bible, right? So that, that is, that is to me the resource that everybody should start with. Um, and then let me write a, I'm going to say more complimentary book that, um, goes in some of the, you know, common questions that I get from students all the time, you know, over the years, students typically have problem understanding this and that, and this and that. And I try to go, you know, really deep into those uh, concepts and visualize it and then code examples and so on. So that was to me the take. Now, you know, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how or why they didn't reach to me, reach out to me first. And I just got an email from the publisher straight. And the interesting thing too, is that, <laughs> you know, I got two publishers basically one month apart. So it had to be someone or a couple of students that obviously went to publishers and said, you know, get this guy, get this guy, get this guy. Um, so, but yeah, I don't know. And, and sorry. And your second question was, uh, I think you answered that. What, what was the reasoning for writing the book? Oh yeah. But I think okay, you, you, yeah. you touched on that. Yeah. 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 That, that was, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's very fascinating. So, yeah, yeah. um, it alongside being a being an author and being a TA and now an instructor for uh, the reinforcement learning course here in OMSCS, you also work currently at Skunkworks, which is Lockheed Martin's advanced development projects or you know secret R and D group. And as we all know, that's you know a lot of things in that particular industry cannot be discussed uh, you know in spe in specific details. But uh, I just want to know from you, you know what. Um, what got you interested in working in that industry? I guess that's a really great question because it, it some sometimes people don't understand, and I know that it, it can be seen as politics or whatnot. But in reality, to me, is um, you know, as, as you probably notice, English is my second language. I'm not from here. Um, I was born and raised in uh, Venezuela. I moved to the United States when I was about 25 years, right? 
Um, Venezuela went through lots of, uh, I'm going to say, difficult times. Um, and one thing that I noticed is that, um, to me, the military and, and, the, and how people here in the United States support the military is very different than how, how, uh, how it is in Venezuela, right? Um, I quickly realized that, um, you know, I was thankful to this country um, for giving me a second chance, basically, <laughs> you know, all the way from, you know, not being able to eat to, you know, having a career and, you know, being able to build a family and, and, and have fun and a good time. And, and it's all because of, you know, to me, people serving. Um, and then so um, in my head, I really wanted to give to support in some way. And then so, you know, um, working at Lockheed uh, was was always in the back of my head. Obviously, I, I wasn't a, a U.S. citizen, so I couldn't. And I didn't really have a skills that were, you know, too interesting other than, you know, software engineering and things like that. So um, I actually got a job, got got the job um, after completing my OMSES. I, that, was, that was my graduation. So I graduated and started, moved to Denver and started with... Uh, with the um uh the i'm gonna say uh, it's called it's a business area called uh missiles and fire control i'm currently at, at aeronautics and uh, it's concords uh but yeah it, the funny thing too is that when i started with them um i i got uh, i got hired uh for robotics right so they they hired me for some robotics and self-driving cars and whatnot um, and then one day I'm actually looking at, uh, some of the internal documents and I see that some folks are doing reinforcement learning. I'm like, wait a minute, I think I can help. And they were like, oh my gosh, yes, please help me. <laughs> what can you do? And I'm, I can do all of it. And this is why this is not working that, that, and it's all thanks to OMSCS. I mean, it, it's really, really funny to, you know, to put it on, uh, perspective. Uh, but yeah, so, so that is the reason why I, I, you know, like, you know, working for Lockheed and, and Skunk Wars. So take me back now to Venezuela. And I, I want to transition now to kind of the second section of our conversation here. And, you know, how were you in school? Uh, what, you know, where was the seed for this love of computing born? And, and kind of what, you know, what were your early, early years in life like for you back in Venezuela? It was great. I, I actually, so, I mean, I probably started playing with computers, you know, when I was four, five, you know, playing. And I mean by that, you know, playing actually actual, actual games as well. Not, not just playing like coding, uh, but, you know, playing games and, you know, probably installing Windows 3.11 or whatever that was, you know, so many disks, I recall. Uh, but no, I, I did have a computer. So back in the day, Venezuela was actually one of the richest countries in South America, right? My parents had, you know, a computer, uh, they bought a computer for, for me, uh, when I was very young. Um, and I love computers. I thought it was very, very interesting. Some, some folks actually came to the house to like, you know, fix the computers and they would, they would, you know, they would be, they would be typing commands on the terminal. And I would be so fascinated just by looking at whatever they were doing. I will, I'll be there next to them just, you know, the entire time looking at, at whatever they were fixing and so on. Um, so then probably in high school, I did my first um, computer programming course and, and I was, I was hooked. I mean, really cool to be able to just make a computer program, do whatever you want it to. Um, in Venezuela, I studied uh 
I guess it's informatics, which is basically computer science here, uh, the equivalent. I didn't complete, I didn't graduate uh, because really the things, things went really bad around that time that I was, uh, I was like two years into the program. Uh, but then I moved to the U.S. Um, and, and did a, did, completed my, my bachelor's. But yeah, so I mean, the, the computer science, love for computer science I've had since forever. Um, I, I liked the, to me, it's like when you code a computer program, you are like a magician, right? So you, you make this thing work. You can also duplicate it very, very quickly, right? And share it with other people and so on. So that to me, that kind of fundamental thing, uh, it was very interesting. Now, artificial intelligence was always in the back of my head. But, you know, like I didn't have a chance, <laughs> really. Like I, I didn't know of courses that were, you know, AI related in Venezuela. Uh, and here, you know, I had already graduated with my bachelor's. Uh, so I didn't know I was going to have an opportunity to actually, you know, uh, study that. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, the love for for computing has been there for, for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love your analogy about, uh, you know, software engineers and computer scientists being like magicians. I think, I mean, it's been a long time now, but I'm thinking back to what I wrote in my college essays and I, I used some similar analogies uh, because I had a very similar story when I was a kid seeing, uh, you know, seeing the terminal window open and seeing all these, these strange things appear on the screen and then suddenly something is fixed and you're you know that 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 curiosity, I think, is is uh, addicting for anybody who studies computer science. So yeah, 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 and and, uh, and the fact that it's limitless, really. I mean, you can you can code whatever you want from just your one computer, which is amazing to me. Exactly, exactly. So you mentioned that you arrived uh, kind of at this inflection point where you wanted to learn more, but you couldn't find the resources. And, uh, you know, I, I was doing a bit of homework before the episode, and uh, I read a spotlight that you had where you were discussing a business that you started when you were 18 years old, a cyber cafe business. Um, and, you know, looking back on this experience now, uh, what did you learn about yourself while running that business? And what insights do you think that gave you uh, before coming to the U.S. and starting a new life? Yeah, that was a very, I'm going to say successful business. Um, and, and I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about, uh, you know, the customers that would come there. So um, Cyber Cafe, uh, for those who don't know, I mean, I, I assume many people know, but uh, you basically network computers uh, and let, customers come in and use the computers typically they play games uh and this could be games from like age of empires uh to like counter-strike or whatever game it is right uh but typically um networked um my customers kids that were like nine years old or 11 whatever um during vacation time for instance would line up and wait for me for like 30 minutes uh, before I would actually arrive up in the business and then let them come in and, and do their thing. So to me, what I've learned is that is really, I mean, to create some kind of, you know, I'm going to say relationship with, with these customers and what they wanted, you know, the games they wanted, um, you know, how they wanted things uh, configured and so on. Um, also, you know, growth. I, 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 Every little bit of money I received from that business, I reinvested it, right? And bought another computer and, you know, got more uh, things in there. Then I, I basically had, was renting also movies. I was fixing printers, fixing computers. I was starting to do 
you know, a little bit of everything. Um, that was a good time. It, it was a great experience um, and, and definitely left a, an impact um, on me. Yeah. And was that part of the, you know, I mean, you, you said you had a very successful business going there and you en were enjoying what you were doing, but um, just to poke a bit further, where where did this, this uh, desire to find other opportunities uh, stem from? You know, what, what was the impetus for wanting to move to the United States? Yeah, so, so what happened is that uh, one day I woke up, went to the business, opened the door, and nothing was there. I mean, literally nothing. And um, I noticed then that the door was broken into. Um, there was some trash left over. I, I basically had to step out of the business and look backwards. Like, am I in the right spot? Like, this is, I mean, the key opened the door. Like, what happened? Um, the, 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 not the key, the handle, but it was, it was actually broken into. Uh, but to me, to me was like, surreal a surreal experience um but at that time then i realized that um you know um venezuela was not the country for me like i couldn't quite understand how people well i mean there's bad people all over the world but unfortunately in venezuela it was very very common and it was very 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 frequent that you would have these things i went to another business next next door and i you know told my story to some of the guys over there a little more experience i mean i was a kid right i was probably 20 years old or so um and they were they said like oh no you are you have to sleep with a gun inside of the business and i'm like i'm not doing that like that's you know it's like that's how you protect your business and i'm like oh gosh okay so well <laughs> nobody told me that i had to buy a gun i don't know if i want to have a gun to begin with so um then I, I went to the police. Uh, some people started talking to me and telling me that police was somewhat involved in the incident on the other side of things. Um, it was a little bit of a mess, to be honest with you. And, and it was so embarrassing to me that um, I thought, you know, I, I, I just got to try something else. I mean, you know, the business is not as important to me. I mean, I, I didn't necessarily need to have a business. I, I had a love for computers, right? And I thought, maybe I just go to the United States. Um, supposedly, you can graduate there and have a normal life. Um, you know, my, my sisters all had, you know, degrees and, you know, psychologist and civil engineer. Uh, I was the third one, so I was, I was due, right? Um, and then so, but, but they, were, they were actually working different types of jobs, not really their professions. So... It was it was very difficult for a professional down there to really do what they love to make a living, right? And and then to me it was like okay, so researched a little bit, noticed, yes, it is possible. Yes, it's going to take a really long time <laughs> for me to be able to really get that degree, and you know, um, you know, to begin to begin with, you don't really speak the language very well. So how are you going to do it? Very difficult. Uh, then you know, like. Uh, immigration wise, like, you know, you need really the paperwork. There are so many different ways that you can get there, but it's going to take a really long time as well. Um, it was, it was all worth it though. I mean, I tell you, honestly, it was all worth it. And this is why I, I mentioned at the beginning is like, sometimes things happen and you think it's like, this is terrible. I was devastated. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's still think about it. And sometimes it makes me really sad inside. Right. But when you think about it, 
I'm married to this, you know, my wife, right? right? I, I have this job. I do what I love. You know, I get a chance to, you know, talk to you and it, all these things, thanks to that moment as well. Because otherwise I would be down there. Who knows what? I'd probably be a gang, a gang member or something, have my gun and make sure that, you know, nobody enters my business if I don't want to. I don't know. So yeah, it was, that was really the key moment to me, probably three months after that or four months after that, I, I just did it, <laughs> moved and then figure it out. 1000 bucks and let's figure it out. Let's try to, let's try to make a living. Um, and then after that, my sisters came. So now they are also us, uh, residents. Uh, one is citizen. Um, you know, my mom is actually as well here in the United States. Um, so yeah. It's a very interesting story for sure. Not not sure if that's what you were expecting, but uh, definitely, uh, you know, it, it was it was uh, that was the reason. Yeah, I think very interesting and very powerful. I think this is a, a true testament to, uh, you know, you were mentioning a little bit before about the uh, the armed forces in the United States and and many other institutions that we have in this country. And I would agree with you that the freedom we have to, I think you described it perfectly, the freedom we have to do what we love in most cases, right? I'm speaking, I'm speaking for, for not everyone, of course, but, uh, for, for the lucky number of us that do have that, the freedom to do what we love, the freedom to, uh, spend the time, uh, that we, with people that we love, you know, all these things, I think, um, that we sometimes take for granted, uh, in this country, I think yep, they're, they're yep. definitely, it's freedom and it's opportunities. I mean, that to yeah. me is a key, uh, difference, right? So typically Agreed. you have the opportunity to do things, whether you can do it or not, whether you're going to do it or not, that's, that's completely different ball game. But, um, you know, in terms of opportunities, holy my goodness, it's so, it's so nice. It's so nice. So, um, so now we come to OMSCS, right? Mm. And, uh, and the program was started in 2013 and you graduated in 2017, which means that you were part of one of the first, uh, cohorts of students to go through the program. So, um, you know, how did you find out about the program first of all? And then, uh, how has the program influenced your career since 2017? Yeah. So, well, that, yeah, a lot, but yeah. So, okay. The, the, Let's see, the, the first one. So how did I find out? Well, so I worked uh, for, um, for AT&T uh, back in the day. Um, actually, the, I was moving to Georgia because my wife, my wife got a job in, uh, at AT&T as well, but the Georgia location, right? So I actually then later um, moved to Cisco and whatnot. I, I think it's actually through my wife. Uh, I know that they had a partnership with AT&T early on. And I don't know if it was through, you know, AT&T directly to me or AT&T through my wife, but my wife applied. I applied. Uh, she got in the first cohort. I got in the second cohort. Uh, she didn't finish her degree. She became a mom and preferred to do that instead. I mean, you know, it's, it's her passion, right? But I absolutely, you know, uh, took advantage of, of the opportunity. Um, then. So I, I think it was through AT&T, the, the AT&T partnership. Um, and I was probably the 2014 cohort. So yeah, very, very early. Um, so the, the second um, question is how has uh, OMSCS really influenced my career? Um, yes. 
I, I'm going to say just, I mean, not mine only, um, lots of people that I know as well, uh, including other TAs uh, in the in the reinforcement learning course, uh, but also people outside, um, you know, through Lockheed Martin. I also know uh, lots of different guys, uh, folks actually that, that um, you know, are, are, are leveraging the opportunity of uh, OMSCS um, and not just your career, but also your life. Because, you know, through that, you can do so many different things uh, in, on a, at a personal level, right? So, well, how I, you know, I, my bachelor's is in computer science uh, from uh, Florida Atlantic University. Uh, and then right after that, I, I took a job at at and right? I wanted to, you know, I, I, like I said, I actually moved here. I was probably 22, 23 or so. Um, uh, unfortunately, at that age, you're a little too old for like the school, especially like I'm moving from Venezuela. I don't have parents that are just going to pay me. Uh, also, uh, you know, pay me for school. Uh, also, because of uh, immigration issues, I didn't have a, like a credit that I could just like take a loan and then study. So I had to study while working, right? Um, so, you know, during my bachelor's, I did whatever job I, I had a chance to do. I mean, from washing cars in downtown Miami to like laundry stuff. I mean, just whatever, right? Um, I, I graduated with my bachelor's and then I, I got my first job at AT&T. They gave me a, an opportunity. I had a really great time. Um, then I moved to Cisco found out about Ole Miss ES, and then I decided to do the master's, uh, you know, while but with my wife and, you know, perhaps really building a family and so on. Um, so, you know, this, this really allowed me to change my career completely because all of a sudden I go from, you know, being a software engineer uh, with perhaps, you know, programming like web design and, and, and you know, um, maybe even mobile application experience and other scripting experience and so on. To now, I'm learning machine learning from you know Charles Isbell and Michael Littman. I mean, when you look it up, these are the guys. Reinforcement learning; these are the guys. You have to go look no further. All this opportunity, you know, while you know having a job, having a wife, having so OMSES is really to me it's an opportunity that people should not even hesitate uh, taking. Um, in in reality, and as you probably now. Notice, right? OMSC has not not only gave me the opportunity to get the masters, uh, but also, you know, TA the topic, um, pursue a PhD, write a book, get a job, you know, advance in that job, and so on. So, I mean, yeah, I think OMSC is it's it, it, it's filled with opportunities for those hungry starving for opportunities and there are many ways that you can you know go about it right you can just do the program and leave and 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 forget about it uh you can also create the connections um you can also try to contribute to give back right to this program given that if if you feel that it does something for you why not to try to help pe help people um you know get something out of it as well and then so all of those opportunities, because of probably the, the massive portion of it, um, to me are, are uh, I'm going to say maximized, right? So all of those opportunities really are, you know, big, big uh, on their own. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. 
So what are your future plans for the reinforcement learning course now that you are an instructor for the course? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, you know, it's very exciting. I mean, with uh with Charles, Charles Isbell, Dean now, well, Dean before, now provost. Um uh, he typically he was very hands-off. Uh, and then so the TAs typically kind of run the course. That was, you know, me back in the day and 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 some of the other guys uh too that they have been there, have been the, have been there. Sorry for, for uh, for many years now, and you know, contributing a lot to 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 the course. Um, you know, to have a really great spirit uh, as well internally. You know, helping each other and all these. Uh, it's it's a really great um, experience to to TA um, this course, and I, and I'm assuming in the, in the whole program really TA is is really. A, a great experience. So the 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 idea right now is to have it basically be very similar to what it is right now, um, with many of the TAs really uh, running the day to day. I, I don't like to take the spotlight from in the spotlight. I mean the opportunities, right? So I had the opportunity thanks to Charles, you know, that he was very hands off. I was able to teach and through teaching learn a lot. Right when a student asked a question and I had no idea, I had to run and get a book and you know check and try to understand it better so I can explain it better. And then sometimes I explain it and it wasn't really correctly. And then I had to pause and take my time and do it again and so on. And all that learning experience, I I want to have that uh, to continue to be the case, right, for the current TAs. But at the same time, you know that course was was uh, really recorded in 2015, so you know. 2015 is probably when the DQN paper was published. That was kind of like the first algorithm that, you know, started a whole bunch of uh, other algorithms and so on. So, I mean, in reality, that's a 2013 paper, but the actual nature paper is 2015. But the point is, though, that it's it's a, it's way different today than it was before. And, um, and then so I want to update the lectures. I also would like to include at least as a very small section where um, students um, learn on how to engineer the MDPs to, so, to, solve the, to solve problems of their own. And, and I think I mentioned this at the very, at the very beginning, right? So you, you, in, in reinforcement learning, you have two, two sides, right? You have an agent that is learning and then you have an environment. Typically in academia, you don't think too much about the environment. You just grab whatever game it is and then have the agent learn how to solve that game, right? And that's good enough. But in but there's a lot of master students, right, that want to really apply reinforcement learning to their problems, right? Uh, hopefully not to the stock market because when. But anyway, a lot lots of students want to apply, you know, an agent to to the stock market. So the point is to, you know, teach a little bit that section, right? So how to engineer this so that to have practical knowledge that is perhaps useful to, you know, some students, master students are not necessarily thinking about research, right? And and then finally, all of this would be the, I'm going to call it kind of like a project track. But in reality, what I want to do is something similar to EdTech that had a project track and then it had a research track and then allow students that want to actually get into more research uh, of this uh, to basically have that open-endedness, right? Now, obviously, this is very difficult because, you know, high performing students or those, you know, go getters uh, can do very well in open ended, uh, open ended, uh, open ended 
ness um but um students that that are perhaps not as um comfortable with that setting um and they just want to get a degree which is fine right so you just want to get a master's degree and improve you know climb the ladder that's great um those students are not um they're obviously two different types of students so i've been obviously talking to the right people and you know poking folks that have experience with this setup similar to edtech uh and whatnot to try to really come up with a plan on how to transition to that uh and and you know and what's what's okay what's too much and so on my hope though is to give those opportunities to students so those who want to just do regular course with projects then they are going to have that track and those who want to go above and beyond and want to do some research can do that as well i did get a message sorry i did get a message yep. that says you're good you're good i can okay. hear you okay yeah and then so yeah so those who want to um you know go above and beyond then they have the opportunity there those who want to just take a normal uh, course, um, you know, get an A and 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 get the degree and get a pay raise. They they can also do that, right? So need to take both into account, and uh, you know that's that's my new challenge, and I'm really really excited about it because I I have so many examples of students that have been you know that want that opportunity to do research, um, perhaps to pursue a PhD in the future, right? Uh, and then so uh, the 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 thing is. I mean, OMSES started with this idea that we're not really going to be doing much research, right? So we're going to, in fact, you know, the, 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 the graduation is typically just courses, right? Not, not thesis. Um, but I, I feel like a lot of students are really, after completing the program, are hungry for more. They want more. They want, they want to be able to, to give back either to OMSES or to, you know, academia. And so on. So, you know, hopefully we set up something nice, uh, nicely there. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful plan that you have for the course. So, Miguel, in the last uh, kind of few minutes that we have together here, I want to just, you know, we've been talking about RL, we've been talking about your journey. Um, I want to just finish off with uh, some kind of more you know, lighthearted topics, if you will. And uh, you mentioned to me that you recently moved to Atlanta uh, for your PhD coursework. So um, just curious, you know, what are, what are some things that you're looking forward to uh, in being in this city now? Um, get to the school, go back and work. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, honestly, just to try to get to know people, I, um, so, you know, I started the PhD remotely. Um, and I've been working remotely for a while. Um, uh, as you know, uh, Dean Isbell, now provost, uh, is no longer at tech. So he was actually my PhD advisor. And um, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Uh, so my goal is to, um, you know, go to school and, you know, go to the uh, CODA building as well and get to know people get to know labs, professors, students, see what they're working on and so on. And, and, you know, try to speed up on my PhD journey. I think, um, you know, what the main difference between the OMSES program and a PhD to me is that 
during during the OMSES, I could be as social as I wanted when I wanted it, right? So you you participate at tech, you attend office hours, whatever it is, but whenever you want it and so on. And and what I what I've been missing or realizing too is that the PhD is a lot about social interactions. Like you really need to be working with people. Um not necessarily like lost on like in your ideas. Like I have this idea of this algorithm and let me just code and you code for hours, you get into a bunch of experiments and then nothing, you know, works. And then what exactly? So where is the the the, the collaboration aspects of it, right? So it's it needs to be multi-agent. <laughs> um, so so to me is that that's the goal. That the goal is to get to know um, you know, students, get to know people. Uh, professors, labs, and so on, and then come from come back uh, from that experience either, you know, with um, you know a, a kind of co-advisor because I think Charles is going to continue to be my advisor, but he cannot be primary advisor. He he has to be like a co-advisor, so either a co-advisor or and you know labs and students that I now can you know work with um, because obviously to his lab, as you can imagine, he graduated his last student actually last semester. And um, no, he's now a post postdoc actually at, at tech. And then I'm going to continue to work with him, but I obviously need more than one person to be brainstorming ideas and so on. So that is my goal. That is, that is my plan. And uh, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it. It's a big, it's a big change, you know, it's a big move, but, um, but I think it was needed at this point. So looking forward to it. Yeah. Wonderful. Any books or any other media or content sources you recommend for people to learn more about RL? Aside from your book, of course. Yeah, my book, number one. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> no, no, I mean, actually, my book is pretty good. I, I would say the Richard Sutton's book, uh, The uh, Reinforcement Learning, that, that to me is really the first recommendation. Um, and there are two lectures that I would recommend. Uh, one is um, The Reinforcement Learning Course by David Silver. Silver. Uh, sorry, the pronunciation, but uh, David Silver, um, he's actually, actually that course is now uh, in the uh, DeepMind cha uh, channel, I think. So that is one really great course. And it follows Richard Sutton's book uh, pretty well, you know. Um, and then the other course that I really like, uh, and I'm actually taking it this semester too. I keep taking these courses because you learn, you know, from other people like a lot, really. And uh this researcher, Professor um, Sergey Levin, uh, Berkeley, um, th this course is really good. It's really, really good. Much more advanced, uh, much more difficult to, to understand uh, for beginners. So I don't quite recommend if it's, you know, if you're just learning this, but if you are, you feel like you're advanced and, and you're, you know, you're, you're ready for more, then this is definitely uh, a very great uh take on the reinforcement learning problem deep reinforcement learning really um and he he all of uh many many of his um applications are related to robotics and then so it's real world really um rl um so it's it's fantastic yeah those are those are the ones definitely and then obviously cs 7642 you gotta take that one of course of course yeah and i will <laughs> second the uh Professor Silver lectures. I watched a couple of those when oh, yeah. I was taking the class, and I would agree they are yeah. they are fantastic. And that's much more you know basic and foundational. It really gives you a good overview, and, and it, you know it follows that book, so it's actually perfect for that. Yeah. 
So Miguel, as we wrap up our conversation here, any words of wisdom for uh, our perspective or current or OMSCS alumni? Alumni? Hmm. I, I, well, alumni, I would say, well, okay, you said perspective, alumni, current. Get involved, really. I mean, that that to me is really the difference. You know, OMSCS is much more than just the masters uh, to me. And um, and as a current student, you can do that. As a perspective, I would say, don't waste your time. No one more semester, just apply. It's gonna change your life. Take one course at a time if you're unsure. Uh, it's not gonna cost you really. Um, actually, literally, it's not gonna cost you financially that much, uh, but it's also not, you know, it, it's you're not gonna waste your time for sure. Um, so. And then for for the alumni, I mean, guess keep keep working hard and making the name of OMSES, you know, bring it a little higher. I mean, it's it's really this program has really changed um, many people's lives, right? Um, and the way we think uh, about education as well. Um, and um, I don't know how many programs we have now. We have the uh, analytics. We have the cyber as well. Uh, there is actually even one for international affairs as well that I, I mean, I'm interested because of what I do, right? Um, but we have so many at Georgia Tech that um, that it's a uh, you know it's it's definitely something people should consider. But OMSES, even even if you're not a software person, you know, because I know actually of uh, people who took this program and and didn't really have a a computer science uh, bachelor, right? bachelors so yeah worth of wisdom i don't know if i did justice to it but you know <laughs> i think you did i think okay, you did good good <laughs> get involved so that, any that's to me that's to me what it is get involved get back get involved help the program give back it, it gives you back it keeps giving you back when you give back if you know what i'm saying exactly exactly any uh, websites or things you want to promote? Uh, you know, where can where can people find you on Twitter or LinkedIn or uh, what? What are your socials? Yeah, so you know, I took a pause on Twitter for about a year, and now it's X. So I'm starting to learn X. It's pretty much the same, right? But uh, yeah, no, I'm 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 getting used to to Twitter again. So Twitter is actually a good one, uh, and uh, well, I used to have some GitHub in there. But now, if you want to reach me, uh, Twitter is probably the place. Okay, and where can they uh, find you on there? What's your What's your handle? Yes, M I M O R A L E A. Awesome. M I M O R A L E A. Not that difficult. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Miguel, thank you so much for spending this hour with me. I truly enjoyed talking to you. Um, I, you know, personally on a personal level, a lot of insights that I took away uh, as a OMSCS alumni now. So I definitely appreciate uh, sh you sharing your thoughts here. And I hope that the people listening also took something away. Um, so thank you so much for listening to the OMSCS Buzz podcast. I truly mean that. I hope you took something away from the episode. I know I did. And in the meantime, uh, take care and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you guys. Thank you, Tom. Marie.